Welcome to episode 85 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the State of the Union Address. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as the State of the Union, capitalism, the United States at war, the killing of Qasim Soleimani, or democracies come up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean.com. The video version of the podcast are available on YouTube, BitChute.com, and Brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. During Trump's 2020 State of the Union address, there were countless standing ovations. I get it. It's theatrics. Up, down, up, down. Every president plays it up, and the members of every president's party obliges. But after watching this year's spectacle, I had a thought. That thought became this episode. So please bear with me as I walk you through a little thought experiment. If you hate Trump, hate Republicans, I beg you to listen to the entire episode. I promise it will be worth your while. You will undoubtedly find yourself uncomfortable and pissed off during the first three quarters or so of the episode, but I am confident that it will resonate by the end. In the last quarter of the episode, I will offer a compare and contrast that you will no doubt demand. Hope you enjoy. So let's pretend there was an American citizen, let's call him Joe. Joe had been unplugged from the world for the last 40 years. Let's say he disappeared in 1980. You can make up whatever scenario you want. He was a held prisoner or lived with a primal tribe in the Amazon forest or lived under a rock or in a cave. The point is, this person was off the grid. And let's say he's now 70 years old. So when he went off the grid, he was 30 years old, old enough to have a relatively decent understanding of politics, politicians, and public policy. And in recognition of his return to civilization, let's pretend that President Trump invited him to attend the State of the Union address. Let's watch it through his eyes. The first thing he would have noticed is that half of the room sat on their hands for the most of the 90 minutes, with a few exceptions, and the other half of the room kept standing up and down enthusiastically, clapping like a bunch of fraternity pledges. While this looked silly, he had vague memories of similar scenes from a couple of State of the Union addresses he watched in the 1970s. He understood. The president is a Republican, and so the Republicans want to make him look good. The first somewhat disturbing thing that happened was the quiet half of the room seemed thoroughly unimpressed by things that appeared good news for the country. Things like achievement, economic growth, and success. The president talked a lot about unemployment. Quote, The unemployment rate for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans has reached the lowest levels in history. And the unemployment rate for women reached the lowest levels in 70 years. And last year, women filled 72% of all jobs added. The veteran unemployment rate dropped to a record low. The unemployment rate for disabled Americans has reached an all-time low. The unemployment rate is the lowest in over half a century. African-American youth unemployment has reached an all-time low. Workers with a high school diploma have achieved the lowest unemployment rate recorded in United States history. A record number of young Americans are now employed. None of that impressed the Democrats. 
They didn't like the idea of putting the needs of Americans first or border enforcement. They were not impressed by the fact that 7 million fewer people received food stamps. A few Democrats actually hissed at this mention by the president. The president claimed that, quote, African-American poverty has declined to the lowest rate ever recorded. Still nothing from the Democrats, which seemed weird to Joe because he remembered the Democrats as the party of civil rights. He remembered all the civil rights activity of JFK and LBJ. Then the president claimed that, quote, real median household income is now at the highest level ever recorded. And then he said, the net worth of the bottom half of wage earners has increased by 47%, three times faster than the increase for the top 1%, end quote. Incredulously, still not a peep out of the Democrats. They were not impressed by jobs and investments pouring into 9,000 previously neglected neighborhoods thanks to opportunity zones, nor were they impressed by energy independence. The president mentioned troop withdrawals and fewer regulations on businesses, but still, the Democrats remained quiet. Then the president gave the Medal of Freedom the highest civilian honor to a guy named Rush Limbaugh, who Joe, of course, had never heard of. As the president explained, Limbaugh has advanced stage lung cancer, but the Democrats remain seated rather than applaud this man. Joe made a mental note to find out more about this guy and why the Democrats would not applaud him. When the president suggested something called partial birth abortion should be outlawed, the Democrats sat on their hands again. Some even groaned and booed while the Republicans went nuts. Joe made another mental note to ask someone about this type of abortion. He had never heard of that either. When the president said that illegal immigrants are not entitled to taxpayer-funded health care, the Democrats remained mute and some scowled at the president. When the president mentioned the Second Amendment, again, many of the Democrats looked angry, while the Republicans jumped up and clapped wildly. At this point in the speech, several Democrats had already left the room, which wasn't all that surprising given how angry they appeared based on what Trump was saying. But Joe wondered, were they really surprised by what the president had to say? Then he realized that maybe they did that on purpose just to get some attention. The president then mentioned two Supreme Court justices that had been appointed to the court, Neil Gorsuch and Brent Kavanaugh. You could have cut the tension in the room with a knife as several Democrats frowned and just shook their heads. And finally, the Democrats were not at all enthusiastic about something called school choice, but the Republicans sure did appreciate it. The president ended with a comment that the best is yet to come. And still, no reaction from the Democrats. However, right as the president concluded his speech, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who spent the entire speech shifting in her seat, picking up and looking at papers and looking around the room, all of a sudden she took the papers that she had been looking at and ripped them up. Presumably it was her copy of the speech that Trump had just presented. After the speech, one of the congressional staffers came over to him and said, We hope you enjoyed the speech. Come with me. There are some members of Congress that would like to meet you, and some media outlets asked if you would answer a few questions. Sure, he said. Well, the staffers asked, what was your impression of the speech? Well, it sounds like things are going pretty good here in the States. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right about that for the most part. You know how presidents tend to exaggerate in these speeches. I know I've been out of the loop for quite a while, but I can only think of a handful of things that the president said that the Democrats applauded. Is that the norm now? Now, the staffer said, not really. The president before Trump was a Democrat named Barack Obama. He was a liberal politician, and he certainly butted heads with the Republicans quite a bit, but, but there was always a fair amount of decorum during his State of the Union addresses. Well, there was this one time that a Republican congressman actually yelled out during the speech, You lie! when Obama was talking about socialized medical legislation. 
So what we saw tonight was not the norm? I would say that's right. Tonight was not the norm. Or at least, I hope it isn't. Good, because I was confused why the Democrats refused to clap about people having jobs and factories opening up and enforcing the borders. Well, the Democrats aren't really against those things. Well, I, I take it back. They, they're not really in favor of border enforcement. They, they tend to have more, shall we say, liberal stance when it comes to illegal immigration. They kind of want any and everyone to come into the country, and they even want to grant them citizenship rights. That's really surprising, said Joe. How can you have a nation without borders? That doesn't even make sense. As they continued exiting the chamber, Joe stopped short and grabbed the staffer's sleeve on and said, Can you explain something else to me? Why are the Democrats opposed to people not needing food stamps? I mean, when I was growing up, even the poorest of the poor families in my community were very reluctant to accept government handouts. They tended to go to their family or churches or charities when times got tough. Well, times definitely have changed since you disappeared. Welfare benefits are relatively easy to get, and depending on who's in charge, they're even easier to keep. You mean Trump took the food stamps away from people who really needed them? Is that why the Democrats reacted the way they did? Well, actually, no. It's a bit more complicated than that. See, under President Obama, the number of people getting food stamps and other welfare benefits went up quite a bit. Joe jumped in and added, Was the economy really bad while Obama was president? Is that why so many people were on government assistance? Well, yes and no, the staffer said. There was a bad recession at the beginning of his presidency, and they spent a bunch of money trying to stimulate the economy. Part of that was making it easier for people to get welfare, and I guess they just never tightened the requirements as the economy rebounded. I guess the best way to put it is, they relaxed the standards and never changed them back. Huh. Well, I guess Democrats just really, really care about people and want them to have as much assistance from the government as possible. I guess you could put it that way, the staffer replied. As they continued making their way out of the chamber, Joe added, I really don't understand why they remained silent while the president mentioned lower poverty and higher wages. That seems like good news for the country. And what about energy independence? Man, oh man, I wish we had energy independence back in the day. I remember vividly waiting in lines at gas stations back in the 70s. The staffer shrugged his shoulders and responded, I, I get what you were driving at. It was a bit uncomfortable in there tonight. I can remember one of Obama's State of the Union addresses. He mentioned energy independence and received what I would call polite applause from the Republicans. I mean, the opposition party never gives an enthusiastic applause, except maybe after 9-11. Joe looked confused, and the staffer realized that he did not understand the reference. America was attacked back in 2001 while George W. Bush was president. For a few months, the nation was united against the enemy, but honestly, it didn't last long. Huh, I can't wait to learn about that, Joe offered. After a slight pause, he continued, What about the one thing the president mentioned about fewer regulations? Is that a bad thing? Uh, well, I guess it depends. The Democrats believe that business needs to be regulated by the government to make sure they don't take advantage of people. So under the previous president, regulations were up quite a bit, and some argue that the economy was hurt by that fact. Oh, so Trump is trying to roll back those regulations, so to speak? Yep, he would probably agree with your assessment. Joe jumped in quickly. I get it. So the Democrats are mad that Trump is undoing what Obama did previously. Yes, I think that's a true statement. Hmm. Well, what about that guy Rush that the president gave that Medal of Freedom to? Who is he and why wouldn't the Democrats applaud his achievements? Well, that man, Rush Limbaugh, well, he is the most famous conservative radio talk show host probably of all time. I don't think he was on the air until the late 1980s, so you never heard of him. 
but he's been around forever. And let's just say he has spent decades calling out the Democratic Party here in Washington. So applauding a guy like that would be out of the question. I, I guess I understand that, but good grief, he's dying of cancer. That, that just makes the Democrats look bad. They had finally exited the chamber, and the staffer was directing Joe to a media room where some of the congressmen who wanted to meet him were congregating. As they approached the room, Joe said to the staffer, Can I ask you a question? Sure, she replied. Can you tell me about this partial birth abortion thing that the president mentioned? Because I really felt like the mood in the room changed a lot when the president mentioned the federal ban on this thing. I saw many of the Democrats physically stiffen. They appeared angry when it was brought up. Well, you remember the Supreme Court opinion of Roe v. Wade. I think it was 1973. Oh, sure I do. It was big news, Joe replied. I know it was a long time ago, but I, if I remember correctly, the Roe v. Wade opinion did not legalize all abortions. I was in college at the time the case was heard. We talked about it in political science class. I wrote a research paper on it. The dirty little secret was the case did not find all abortions constitutional. There was like a trimester component or something like that, wasn't there? Well, the staffer continued, I honestly don't know about all that. I, all I know is abortion is still a very divisive issue in America all these years later. It remains legal, but many states are making it more difficult for women to have access to the procedure. And the Democratic Party's platform is very clear that women have the right to choose whether or not to have an abortion, and they argue that the government should stay out of the discussion. Hold on one minute. Just give me a second here to figure all this out. You just told me that the Democrats favor more regulations in order to protect the people from businesses that may take advantage of them. Then you tell me the same people want the government out of the business of pregnant women who may have an abortion. The staffer responded reluctantly, yes, that's correct. Joe sat down on a nearby bench and motioned the staffer to join him. He offered, before we go in there, I need to tie a bow on this conversation because I'm having a hard time understanding. Tell me about the partial birth abortion thing. Is it what I think it is? Well, it's a little graphic, but the baby is basically grown enough in its mother's womb to survive on its own, but the mother chooses to abort it. The doctor essentially delivers most of the baby's body and collapses its skull and vacuums out its brain. Then it delivers the rest of the body. Joe remained quiet for a full minute before he made eye contact with the staffer and said, Are you telling me that the National Democratic Party endorses the killing of their own children? That doesn't even make sense. Why would you advocate for the killing of your own kids? I don't know how, how you feel about this, but that's nothing short of evil. The staffer explained, They argue that it's the choice of the mother. They call it the pro-choice movement. Joe looked at the staffer in the eye and said, What about the baby? What? The staffer asked. What about the baby? Who protects the baby's choice? You know, to live or to die. Don't they have rights? Shouldn't the government do something to protect the baby? I guess if I was being honest with you, I'd have to say we don't really ask that question. All we ever talk about is the woman's right to choose. After another long pause, Joe got up and allowed the staffer to walk him towards the media room. Joe finally spoke again after several seconds. I honestly cannot get over that abortion issue. That is absolutely mind-boggling that an entire political party unabashedly advocates for the killing of innocent babies. There are a couple other things I was confused about, like the Second Amendment and school choice, whatever that is. What's the Democrats' angle on those issues? Are they opposed to the protections provided by the Second Amendment? And what the heck is school choice? Well, the Democrats, at least the national Democrats, are all about coming up with gun control measures. 
But isn't that directly opposed to the Second Amendment? Uh, yes, that would be correct. With a shake of the head, Joe ventured on, Tell me about this school choice. What is that, and why would the Democrats oppose it? The president said something like, American children have been trapped in failing government schools, and they need to be rescued. Does this have something to do with the Department of Education? I seem to vaguely remember something like that being in the news right before I took off. That would have been under President Carter, correct? Yes, you got that. Great memory. So, since then, the public schools receive money from the federal government, and therefore they must comply with certain standards set forth by D.C. But the president used the word failing to describe the schools. So, because they're failing, he wants to offer something like called school choice? Am I getting this? Yeah, school choice offers parents the opportunity to pick the school that their kids attend rather than being sent to their so-called failing neighborhood school. You're right. It seems counterintuitive. I didn't realize it until the words started coming out of my mouth. It's screwed up. I'll tell you what's screwed up. Is the Democrats oppose school choice, but are pro-choice when it comes to killing babies? The staffer smiled and continued to guide Joe through the media room to the crowd of congressmen. As they approached the group, Joe thanked the staffer for answering his questions and added, You know when the president said the best is yet to come? The staffer nodded. How funny would it have been if all the Democrats in the chamber had stood up and wildly applauded that line of the speech? Well, what do you mean, the staffer replied with a confused look. Think about it. When asked why they did that, after sitting on their hands for the last 90 minutes, they could have said, I applauded that line because Trump won't be president in the future. I mean, that would have been hilarious. The staffer agreed with a chuckle, but added in a hushed tone, I think there is something going on in the Democratic Party as a whole here in D.C., they're going through a bit of an identity crisis, and at least for now, the identity that seems to be winning is one you saw tonight. There is no room for compromise. And apparently no room for common sense, decency, or decorum. I mean, for crying out loud, the Speaker of the House ripped up the speech just as the President finished? Is she crazy? At that, the staffer turned, shook Joe's hand, and directed him to another staffer who would escort him into a private room where he could meet with the congressman. So, I decided to use that dialogue as a way to walk through the speech through the eyes of an unbiased, blank slate type observer, since none of us are either of those things. And of course, even though I try to be unbiased in the analysis I present to you guys, clearly you can pick out the sarcasm and maybe a little bias in the dialogue I just presented. But be that as it may, I always try to present both sides of an issue. That's why at the beginning I asked skeptics to hang around to the end of the episode. So, the Democrats sitting on their hands during Trump's speech. Didn't the Republicans do the same thing to Obama? The honest answer is yes and no. I searched for articles about Republicans refusing to applaud Obama and State of the Union addresses, and I only found one article. I did, however, come across a couple videos on YouTube that actually showed the opposite. One of them was from the State of the Union address when John Boehner was Speaker of the House, and it showed him politely clapping, not standing up, mind you, but politely clapping some 30 times during one of Obama's first State of the Union addresses. But I do want to address the one article I found that was critical of Republicans after one of Obama's addresses. They listed 10 or 12 instances where they thought the Republicans were less than polite and didn't applaud. Instance number one, the Republicans refused to applaud any mention of Obamacare. Okay, well, I wonder why. Democrats shut out the Republicans. There was no debate. There was no negotiations. The law is and was unconstitutional. Obama and the Democrats lied about keeping your doctor and lowering the costs. 
Listen to episode 14, The Truth About Obamacare, for a deep dive on this topic. Instance number two, the Republicans refused to applaud at any mention of federal gun control legislation. I wonder why. Could it be that it's unconstitutional, a little thing called the Second Amendment? Check out episode 18, The Truth About Gun Control, for more on that. Instance number three, the Republicans refused to applaud any mention of initiatives to deal with climate change. Well, perhaps it has something to do with the manner in which Obama and the climate change fanatics refused to debate the issue. Kind of like the Obamacare law. After all, the science is settled when it is far from settled. Or maybe it has something to do with the name-calling that goes on. Climate change deniers. Or maybe it has something to do with the remedies to this supposedly undeniable problem is always the expansion of the federal government's power and economy-killing measures. Listen to episode number 7, The Truth About Climate Change, for more on that. Instant number 4. The Republicans refuse to applaud any mention of inequality. Well, maybe that's because that's a hollow term with no real meaning other than to be used as a tool to divide the country and garner votes. I covered this topic a bit in episode 41, The Truth About the Gender Pay Gap. At instance number 5, the Republicans refuse to applaud any mention of pre-K for all. Tell me again where the federal government was granted the power to get involved in our schools. By Donald Trump's own words, we have failed government schools that kids need to be rescued from. Democrats want to hand our kids over to this failed institution at an even earlier age? There's something sinister about that. Instance number six. The Republicans refused to applaud Obama when he said we need to cut the cost of college and two years of community college at no cost for every responsible student. I'm still looking through my pocket constitution for the enumerated powers to the feds for any mention of education, either elementary or higher. Not to mention the fact that how the hell is he going to pay for it? And the fact that the reason college is so expensive is due to the feds' involvement in the education system, i.e. student loans. Check out episode 39, The Truth About Student Loans and the Cost of College, for more on that. Instance number seven, Congress should authorize the use of military force against ISIL. This critique at least has some merit given the fact that Republicans are pretty consistent with their support for more military intervention. But at this point in history, the country was a little war fatigued, so Republicans sat on their hands. Instance number eight, the Republicans refused to applaud when Obama said too many Americans still aren't working at all. Well, could it be that the Republicans thought the Obama administration's own economic policies and hyper-regulatory environment was largely the, to blame for the loss of jobs and the lack of economic activity? Instance number nine, the Republicans refused to applaud any mention of immigration reform, maybe because Obama and the Democrats were advocates for amnesty for illegal immigrants, as were more than a few Chamber of Commerce-type Republicans. Or maybe because by immigration reform, Obama meant open borders and the continuation of birthright citizenship. Check out episode number 20 for more on that topic. Or maybe it's because Obama had already rolled back DACA. And maybe it was because the National Democrats were and are in favor of granting welfare and voting rights to illegals. Instance number 10, the Republicans refused to applaud any mention of infrastructure spending. Maybe that's because Obama had already wasted three-quarters of a trillion dollars on his so-called stimulus package for shovel-ready jobs, and then just a couple years later joked that, turns out, those shovel-ready jobs weren't so shovel-ready. 
You think the Republicans are above taking taxpayer money and redistributing it to their constituents? I think not. Trump said in his State of the Union address, quote, Tonight I am calling on Congress to produce a bill that generates at least $1.5 trillion for new infrastructure investments we need, end quote. The Republicans have no room to talk when it comes to spending. Has federal spending decreased with the Republicans in the White House? No. But in this instance, they just knew Obama was full of shit. Instance number 11, the Republicans refused to applaud any mention of a hike in the federal minimum wage. Here again, I produced an entire episode on this topic, episode 4, The Truth About Minimum Wage. I encourage you to listen to it. But suffice it to say, this is yet another example of unconstitutional encroachment by the feds. Secondly, the policy also leads to higher unemployment, and it always hurts the very people that the do-gooding politicians claim they want to help. Instance number 12, the Republicans refused to applaud when Obama said, quote, wherever and whenever I take steps without a legislation to expand opportunity for more American families, that's what I'm going to do, end quote. Why would they applaud that? This coming from the same guy who had overseen the drastic expansion of the regulatory state. The same guy who said, quote, I've got a pen and I've got a phone and I can use that pen to sign executive orders and take executive actions and administrative actions that move the ball forward. In other words, screw you, Congress. Maybe that's why they didn't applaud. The truth about the State of the Union address is not what the two national factions disagree about. It's about what they do agree on. It's about what's never mentioned. Think about it. Regardless of which party's leader is giving the speech, what do they both have in common? Number one, virtually everything the president mentions, his laundry list of initiatives and accomplishments, are unconstitutional. I've pointed this out ad nauseum. Think about what we discussed from Trump's speech. Unemployment, jobs, wage rates, wage growth. What does the Constitution say is the federal government's role in any of those things? What about poverty and welfare? What about school choice, abortion, infrastructure spending, immigration, and regulations? We have thousands of unconstitutional federal regulations issued by hundreds of unconstitutional federal agencies. And number two, guess what one issue is never discussed in any State of the Union address, regardless who is giving the speech? Cutting federal spending. It's never addressed. Spending only goes in one direction, up. At the end of the day, after all the posturing, all the arguing, all the propaganda, the two dominant political factions that we have to choose from have the same agenda, power and control. Sure, any casual observer would admit that the National Democrats showed their ass during Trump's third State of the Union address. They very demonstrably demonstrated their contempt for most of the electorate. You know, all the deplorables. On the other hand, what good are the National Republicans? Really? So they are more polite and congenial. So they are more willing to go along, to get along. What does that leave us? I'll tell you where it leaves us. It leaves us holding the bag. Holding the bag of national debt holding the body bags of our kids fighting in undeclared wars, holding the bag of sending our kids to shitty schools, holding the bag of deflated paper dollar bills and inflation, holding the bag of resentment and envy of each other sowed by our national leaders, holding the bag of a surveillance state unrivaled in human history, holding the bag of a stock market bubble that when it bursts will make 2008 look like a picnic. 
At the end of the day, the truth about the State of the Union Address is it just proves how thin the line is between truth and reality versus propaganda and lofty rhetoric, encouraged by fake applause by a bunch of partisan hacks who do nothing to fulfill their oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. If you are looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on this episode, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Peter. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from school choice, energy policy, the 16th Amendment, and welfare. It's available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. And as always, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.